Hi, I'm Kyle Snyder, and today on Recruitment on the Go, I'm talking about how you can achieve a more diverse candidate pool with inclusive job advertisements. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, so, so far we've covered linguistic inclusion, uh, industry inclusion, and uh, gender inclusion. You also mentioned at the top of this episode, there's also literacy inclusion. Can you explain uh, what that means? Yeah, so literacy inclusion is it's a... Uh, it's not really a, a term that I think is known, and it's also uh, maybe it's it's known by different uh, by different terms. But basically, uh, including people with different levels of literacy. So uh, this also could be a potential proxy for age inclusion because we tend to, as humans, over time, our literacy changes as we age. Usually, it's uh, uh, broadens and improves. But uh, from a content perspective, we know that good content is accessible content. Uh, but sometimes when writing, our text can become complex by mistake. Complexity of text like length of sentences and complex phrases can make job advertisements difficult to understand. For instance, maybe you need a higher level of, uh, of uh, literacy to understand uh, complex job adverts. And maybe what some of us have seen in the past Maybe there's a uh, job advertisement that's so complex that uh, it requires university-level reading skills, but you're looking for candidates with reading skills from high school and above. One approach to deal with literacy inclusion is writing in an accessible, in an accessible way as much as possible. So keeping sentences short, keeping paragraphs short, and using white space. Mm -hmm. If you do want to invest in uh, specialist uh, specialist in-house, uh, text analysis experts can help you uh, measure the documents for the re readability to assess the level of reading ability required for understanding the content. There's also numerous tools online uh, that can assist with this, but it's important to know what you're using uh, as well as to know uh, what the readability score is that's being applied because I think there's at least 10 readability scores. Uh, and it's important to note that accessible writing practices actually help cognitive functioning. This is the reason why writing accessible is important. Longer sentences require more memory to process the sentence, and white space helps reduce visual noise around the text you are reading. And I think uh, also as people who have maybe drafted job advertisements or even applied to job advertisements, and we see those job advertisements changing every week, we realize that the more complex uh, the writing is in an advert, actually uh, is a, a cost on your on your resources, having to redraft job advertisements mm -hmm. and also having to uh, refine your recruitment strategy uh, for for uh, potential uh, candidates just because the job advertisement was too complex. Mm -hmm. so. so you talk about how job ads can be um, written at perhaps a university level of literacy, whereas the job itself might only require a high school level of literacy. Now, I'm wondering how that ties into cognitive inclusion or neurodiversity. Right. So I think, um, yeah, I should say that I'm not an expert in uh, cognitive processing, but uh, these things do intersect, right? So um, typically people who have uh, learning disorders like uh, dyslexia, uh, they have specifically a challenge with processing language. And of course, level of literacy is related to how much language or what level of language you can process. Uh, 
So uh, the important thing to, to think about is that people with dyslexia are actually a protected class legally of citizens. And the Dyslexia and Literacy International Organization has found that at least 10% of the population has dyslexia. A study by EY and Made by Dyslexia has found that individuals with dyslexia reported that standardized job descriptions and hiring processes stopped them from applying. So we can see that um, by making your, your job adverts complex to understand uh, with high levels of uh, literacy necessary, you're not just uh, including or excluding people with different levels of literacy, but you're also potentially excluding people who have a learning disorder but can function on the job absolutely fine. Um, one approach you can take by the British Dyslexia Association is using sans-serif fonts like Arial and Comic Sans, or even Verdana, Tahoma, Century Gothic, Trebuchet, Calibri, or Open Sans. And it's mainly because uh, uh, serif fonts crowd the text and make it more difficult to process. Oh my gosh, I would have never would have thought never of that. I would have never thought of this myself. That is such, a ver like, that is such an interesting <clears throat> thing that you can take away and also, like, sort of an easy thing so you don't have to be an expert in um cognitive inclusion but you can just change which font you're using and that can help yeah exactly i mean it's uh even things like underlining and italics cause crowding so use bold for emphasis instead um the what i think is quite interesting is that maybe due to some uh, branding strategies communications could be very dedicated mm -hmm. to uh, a, a serif font yeah but do they actually know that their branding is exclusive? That's um, a really interesting one. Yeah. Because it's quite common that companies will stick to a certain font because, right. yes, you, 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 you know, you stick to the brand and this is what you want to reflect. But it's a very interesting point that you bring up that that could be a form of... Uh, exclusion. Exclusion. Yeah. So, so far we've covered um, linguistic inclusion, industry inclusion. You also mentioned gender inclusion literacy inclusion, and now uh, cognitive inclusion. Right. Um, are there any more of these types of um, inclusion that recruiters can use in, their, in everyday practice when they're writing job ads? Yeah, well, I will uh, make a note about inclusion, which brings us to what uh, we discussed in the beginning, is that people are incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. And, of course, like when we think about inclusion, we also think of uh, social categories like age or ethnicity in the social class. But, indeed, these types of dimensions are difficult to to approach they can they can vary they can be incredibly uh, complex in their nature and intersect uh, but one way to approach some of this is actually to not uh, approach it from a linguistic standpoint at all so some organizations have actually opted for inclusive content like having a section which directly addresses that candidates from diverse backgrounds are welcome to apply uh, you can also uh, remove keywords and phrases which might act as proxies for different class backgrounds. For instance, we may often see phrases like top-tier university in job advertisements. And from a search on January 15th this year, I see that 234 jobs on the usindeed.com site had the phrase top-tier university. So you could use text analytics methods to identify more such words and phrases, but this is just a starting point. And... Uh what would you say is the social impact of all of this? Right. So often we think that inclusive practices are just to make people feel good. But actually, there's a real social impact to having uninclusive job advertisements. Uh, let's take the top tier university example. I searched for two types of vacancy, vacancies on LinkedIn. 
Uh, the first, including the word degree while excluding the phrase top tier university, so using an and not operator. And the second vacancy type, including the word degree with the top tier university phrase. Then I looked at the salary ranges in the Indeed dataset for the job advertisements resulting from each search. And from a quick glance, I could see that advertisements contain degree but not top tier university are estimated at almost half the starting salary as advertisements contain degree and top tier university, a difference between a starting range of 35,000 and 60,500. So you could see that using the phrase top tier university could already be excluding candidates. And this doesn't just exclude them from the job that they're thinking about at that time. But because salaries tend to accrue over time, this has long lasting impacts on their economic access. That's a really interesting experiment that you conducted on your own time, which probably only took a few minutes. And I'm sure that this is not even the beginning of what we could start looking for with job ads. Um, is there a practical tip that people can keep in mind when writing these job ads? So not only keeping out top tier university, but perhaps focusing on other aspects. Yeah, I would say that, uh, of course, like as humans, we are conditioned to use certain language, but becoming really aware of the language that you use. And when you say something like uh, looking for an expert, ask yourself, am I really looking for an expert? Is it really an expert that I want that I want or just someone who has exposure to a certain uh, skill set? And for instance, using the top tier university just because it's so salient. Why top tier university? If you're looking for skills, do we know for certain that top top tier universities only offer those skills? Uh, so I think it's being more aware of your own writing. And uh, of course, if you want to, over time, you can do research to identify more uh, structures and patterns like this. Um, some that are a bit more advanced, but I think even from uh, like a data science perspective, you could already explore uh, some common uh, phrases that you have in your documentation and then also look at salary ranges related to that or look at the performance metrics of your of your adverts related to some of these patterns. And uh, this is really work that would only, I think, take a few months of investment. Um, but if we wanted to, to move forward, uh, we may want to ask ourselves things like, have advertisements in one language attracted candidates from only certain regions or backgrounds? Did advertisements with gendered language attract one gender over others from applying? Did advertisements with a lot of industry jargon result in fast but homogeneous hiring? Did advertisements with complex text need to be rewritten and posted multiple times? Did these advertisements have a longer time to hire as a result of the text not being completely understood by candidates, thus causing misalignment between candidates and recruiters? I think we all have personal experience with this one. And uh, how are newer, more inclusive advertisements performing against your previous advertisements? This is a really nice spot for me to jump in because on a practical note, if someone wants to actually track the changes that they're making and seeing if they actually are writing more inclusive job ads and just to keep track of how they're doing in this space of inclusive writing, what's sort of a practical starting point for holding your data, for researching? You mentioned a lot of questions that you can ask. As a data scientist, what would be your starting point? Yeah, as a starting point, we have uh, a lot of historical data on our hands. And many organizations which uh, are digital, uh, they have access to this data. So looking, I think Harvard has different types of performance metrics for uh, candidates that are in the pipeline. Maybe you can analyze the, the most common phrases in different types of uh, job adverts against the performance metrics. So it's really like a mixed methods approach. But... Uh, 
yeah, I've actually done similar work like this in the past. It doesn't take that long. It's, of course, something that you refine over time. Um, but indeed, looking historically at your uh, your past documents is a first is a first step. Uh, if you want to to take action on it uh, next week, for example, start looking at why you actually had low performing uh, advertisements. Look at your outliers, the ones that you had to redraft multiple times that were really problematic, and see if you can start finding patterns in that sample. Any um, final thoughts on the subject? No, I'm really happy that you invited me to to talk today. I think it's a really exciting time for recruitment. And uh, as recruitment practices develop alongside developments in tech and data science, I think we're in a really good position to make hiring less bias. And that will really help us all. And I think uh, has an economic value as well. Uh, we can start with ourselves by making job advertisements more inclusive so that potential candidates are not dissuaded when first contact is made. When they open the advert and read the text, you will join an ambitious group of diverse colleagues working to make a real impact. I think that says it all. And everything that we've discussed today can really give our listeners the starting point to begin this journey of writing inclusive job ads and, of course, creating a diverse work environment. I agree. We thank you so much, Kyle, for being here today. I have learned so much and I would love to even ask you more questions if yes. we had more time. <laughs> um, if people are trying to reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, I would say if you are curious about how you can take uh, some of this work further or you're curious about how you can optimize some of your content uh, related to language, uh, find me on uh, LinkedIn with a link uh, to my profile in the description of the podcast. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we had for today. Again, if you want to learn more about anything and everything recruitment related, please check out our blog at harvard.com slash blog. And be sure to subscribe and tune in every weekday for another episode of Recruitment on the Go. See you next time. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Don't forget to download your free copy of Kyle's 11 tips on how to write inclusive job ads. You can find the link in the podcast description.